today on Ag News Daily. The USDA lowered yield uh, down below 50 bushels per acre at 49.6 national average. That is also, they lowered the bean yield estimate back in September as well. Well, hey, listeners, welcome back to a Market Monday, October 16th, 2023. Tanner and Delaney here to bring you another great episode. Delaney, I'm sitting here in the field doing a little bit of corn combining today. That's nice. They promoted you then. That's well, I no, I am not in the combine. I'm just in the field where the combine is combining corn. Oh, well, I thought you had gotten a promotion, but it doesn't sound. <laughs> nope. I think they're waiting for you to give me a promotion to see that I am worthy. Oh, well, I don't know about that. Absolutely. We uh, got nice weather here after quite a bit of rain. We had pockets in central Iowa getting more than six inches. We had parts of south central Iowa that barely saw any rain. So quite a bit of variance there. We still have some freeze warnings issued for parts of western Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. Southwestern Kansas could get temperatures as low as 28 degrees. Otherwise, uh, winds will be lower than normal. Frost advisories could be in effect for parts of western Iowa. So if those growers don't have their soybeans out, it could be a slow go there. Otherwise, looks like a pretty clear weather day, Delaney. It is here for the United States, Tanner. But as we head into the summer season for Brazil and Argentina, they're certainly going to be focused on what weather is going to do down there. Uh, South American weather is expected to still be pretty dry from last season, especially in Argentina, as they're dealing with the worst drought in, you know, 60 plus years, while southern Brazil is still really wet, Tanner, as they're trying to get planted and in the fields. But according to the latest estimates, planting in Brazil are around 35% complete in their main growing area of Mato Grosso. And as far as soybeans go, Slight showers are forecast for the drier areas of Argentina and Brazil this week, but so far little planting has gotten started there as quite a few conditions are either too wet or too dry. There's not a lot of in-between conditions there, Tanner. So we'll certainly keep an eye on the conditions in South America because that is going to be a big indicator of where maybe markets are headed here in the future moving forward. That's right. We talk a little bit about that today on our market segment with Jeff Branch. We've got carbon dioxide pipelines back in the news. They're continuing to look at the already approximately 5,000 miles of CO2 pipelines in the U.S. to transport CO2 from oil fields. But now states are continuing to put up more of a battle with the storage locations. So you're looking at North Dakota and Illinois, like we've reported. The majority of those states are the ones that are putting their spans or at least implementing laws that may slow this pipeline down. They're taking scripts right out of California, Oregon, and Washington. They've implemented laws that require fuel manufacturers to measure the carbon intensity of their fuels. In addition, those states are continuing to press forward for CO2 pipelines. As you look at the incentives put across, ethanol manufacturers are low both trying to motivate the government and these private companies to get their pipelines built. 
As the latest news states, some of the permits have been withdrawn. Ethanol companies are continuing to push forward, Delaney. We're looking at the construction of these massive pipelines supposed to start in 2024, if everything stays according to the planned out map, but permitting process is behind. So they may not see anything until 2025. As we look at South Dakota Public Utilities Commission, they're the ones that have denied the construction permits for two of the pipeline companies and they are continuing to work together. The Iowa Utilities Board is holding contentious hearings as we've been reporting on as well. But it looks like here at the White House, a lot of the ethanol lobbyists, Delaney, are continuing to push forward to see if there is something that can still be done to save the CO2 pipelines. We'll continue to see what happens in the White House as far as laws and regulations go about what these lobbyists are asking for. Well, Tanner, we may see some folks starting to lobby for some government aid to head to Israel, starting to get some soft confirmation now that this attack on Israel and more specifically the Gaza Strip was an attack issued by Iran, Tanner. And so as we're continuing to find new information that's coming to light here, we're continuing to see the death toll climb, unfortunately, as more than 1,400 Israelis have been reported dead since this assault began late last or early last week. We've also seen now, uh, of course, of course, the U.S. military and State Department are getting folks out of the country if they are U.S. citizens. And the U.S. military has also deployed about 2,000 troops or are getting ready to deploy potentially 2,000 troops to deployment to support Israel. But as we look at the short-term funding bill, Tanner, that was passed at the end of last month to keep the government going through the end of the year, not quite, uh, it appears that we might be seeing some potential farm, or excuse me, some potential foreign aid included in the next round of funding. And that could certainly put a damper in negotiations as some folks are in favor of sending foreign aid to Israel, and a lot of folks are not in favor of that as well. So might be a very contentious issue, but Israel is certainly preparing for what it seems like is the next phase of the war with the Hamas, and that's expected to include a major ground offense, Tanner. So this issue just keeps escalating here, and it's soon apparent that Western forces and European forces are probably going to be stepping in to help deal with this as well. Yeah, when I looked at the headlines around that, uh, Prime Minister of Israel and the U.S. Secretary of State stated that their community has just been crushed. They have vowed the U.S. will provide support for Israel uh, at least 25% of Americans have been killed. There are still others within custody. Like you said, more than 1,500 people have been reported killed. But what they're looking at now, as far as humanitarian efforts go, the airstrikes have displaced almost 400,000 people. More than 2 million Palestin Palestinians live in the, the Hamas-run enclave, which has been under blockade right now. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. I know there's a lot of people here that are trying to get out and get out quickly. In the last 24 hours, that mass evacuation order has taken place. A reminder that that was supposed to be issued to nearly 1.1 million people that are trying to get out of that area unscathed. That's a big number of people, Tanner, that are all scrambling to get out at the same time. 
Yeah, the other interesting part is the Russia-Ukrainian news has slowed down a little bit, but Russia joined China in curbing their imports from Japan. They are now attacking tariffs on Japanese fish and seafood. So they are working together, Chinese and Russian governments are releasing their uh, issue of banning all seafood, seafood imports from Japan. And what they're blaming is the release of radioactive water from the wrecked Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. So they're claiming this is an environmental precautionary measure, but it looks like these two governments are continuing to band together as far as making world trade decisions. Mm, I had not seen that headline, so I'm glad you brought that one up for us. In other news here, Tanner, as we look at some global news, Bayer announced on Monday that they are planning to bring their direct seeded rice program to the Philippines starting in 2024, which is going to offer farmers an alternative cultivation method that's supposed to be more climate friendly. Bayer launched the system in India earlier this year, and they said it can help reduce water usage by up to 40%. It helps cut greenhouse gas greenhouse gas emissions by up to 45%. And most importantly, probably for the Philippine people is manual labor costs are reduced by up to 50%. Rice farmers traditionally grow first the seeding, seedlings in nurseries and then transport them to the flooded paddy fields. And as a practice used on about 80% of the world's rice crop currently, but Bear said their new system here with the rice hybrid is going to help directly reduce that amount of water that's needed for flooding those rice paddies. But the Philippines is among the world's top 10 rice producers. And unfortunately, their output remains insufficient to meet the domestic demand they have there in the country as well as globally. So Bayer um, shared that announcement earlier today at the start of a four-day international rice conference going on currently in Manila, Tanner. So we might have some additional news coming out of Manila as that four-day conference continues, focused on rice production. And I know it's not as big of a crop here in the United States that we eat, but it certainly is a staple in many other cultures and countries' diets. Well, my last headline is going to kind of go off the rails a little bit, but it's going to affect those in agriculture because legislatures are trying to tack other things into the farm bill. Right now, there is a fight for grizzly bears. Republican Dan Newhouse of Washington introduced legislation last week that would thwart the effort to reintroduce grizzly bears to Washington's northern Cascade region. The latest move in a long-running controversy involving the National Park Service, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the DNR. Those federal agencies note that the animals occupied the areas for thousands of years. However, there hasn't been a grizzly bear in the northern Cascade since 1996. There was a draft attached to the Farm Bill discussions that provides different plans to reintroduce grizzlies to this area. They would consistently be voiced as a concern from a lot of the constituents within this representative's area stated here agencies should listen to the people and make sure that this doesn't slide in under the wire. It'll be interesting to see what else gets pushed into this. The farm bill continues to add conservation program funding, but it notes that there's less funding than there has been historically. You factor in inflation states that there may be uh, not as much money included in the farm bill, even though the dollars are being negotiated. 
for what's coming down the pipe. We also have the Ag Census coming in February, and we're hoping we don't get just a temporary fix until the results of that census come in. We'll continue to keep an eye on what is going to get thrown into this farm bill, but it sounds like lots of little private initiatives are trying to tag along as they work through that process, Delaney. But that's what I've got for news today. Well, Tanner, as we head into taking a look at the markets today, we are certainly seeing some mixed trade as we saw NOPA numbers last week showed increased crush capacity and uh, crush overall for the month of September, which is, of course, a little delayed here, but that certainly has helped push markets higher here today. Corn, however, has been pushed a little bit lower as we've seen a little light trade off here on this Monday afternoon. December corn down three and a quarter cent today at 490. New crop beans added 12, excuse me, added six cents to close at 1286 and a quarter. Hard red December wheat down a quarter of a cent at 668 and three quarters. Chicago December wheat down two and a half cents at 577 and a quarter. And December spring wheat up six and three quarters cents today at 728 and three quarters. Livestock today, Tanner, showed mostly weakness as the December live cattle contract cut 20 cents to close at a buck 86.55. November feeder cattle shed $1.65 to close at 249.92. And December lean hogs lost $1.20 today to close the day out at 68.30. To break down today's markets and more, we're kicking our conversation over to Jeff French. All right, it's time to talk markets. Our pleasure to have Jeff French here, owner of Ag Hedgers. Welcome back, Jeff. How you doing? Excellent. Uh, harvest is, you know, until this recent rain, I mean, it was record pace uh, throughout most of the Midwest. So uh, it's going to be cleaned up pretty quick. We're, you know, turning the halfway point here right now, but uh, uh, can't complain. It's been a very quick, uh, quick harvest here this year. So I would say first thing we need to jump into is let's reflect on the WASD report from last week. What did we learn? Uh, a couple things. So the, you know, the big, the big thing that uh, was kind of the flash uh, was the bean yield reduction. Also the, the yield, uh, the reduction in carry out in the beans. And it's just, it's just simply going to be very tight, especially uh, if there is any problem down in Brazil here over our winter, obviously their summer, their growing season, but uh, the USDA lowered yield uh, down below 50 bushels per acre at 49.6 national average. Uh, that is also, they lowered the bean yield estimate back in September as well. So in the last 30 years, when they lower the September yield estimate, as well as the October yield estimate, there's been six years five out of the last six years uh, in November, they go on to lower the yield estimate again. So the trade knows that. They are anticipating that. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you look at the conditions, I would think there's easily room for another uh, half bushel national average reduction uh, to even maybe a full bushel reduction. So that puts you at 49, right around 49 uh, bushels to the acre for national average. So, we will see if that develops, but if you look at history, uh, you could definitely make that argument that uh, they're going to continue to move the yield lower. Uh, and then also the uh, NOPA crush numbers were out here today, and uh, just very strong demand. Now, these are a month lag, so these were September's numbers. 
September soybean crush, 165 million bushels. Uh, that compares to 158 million bushels uh, uh, crushed last September. So the soybean domestic demand crush remains extremely strong. Uh, we're up 2.5% compared to last year. Uh, but if you break the crush down, uh, what really jumps off the page is the soybean oil uh, stocks. Uh, soybean oil stocks is 25% below last year. Obviously, the soybean oil is going to be going into biofuel uh, once all that gets up and running. So uh, last week, the bean oil hit uh, a four-month low. Uh, we were trading right around 52 to 53 cents per pound. Uh, obviously, with this report on Thursday with the USDA, uh, the bean oil reverse, and then with the crush numbers here today, uh, we are already, you know, three to four cents off of last week's lows, off the, off the four-month lows. So uh, I would expect higher bean oil prices uh, to be supported. Um, but the problem, you know, you get, these, you get these bullish numbers from the USDA, which are fundamentally bullish, but you also, you got to remember what time frame we are. We are in middle of harvest. We are in a time where be beans are being sold. And a lot of farmers, uh, after a 45, 50 cent rally there uh, on the report day, took advantage of that because we came into a pretty good slide. So, uh, you know, we just, we're going to be extremely tight here moving forward uh, through this winter. Uh, again, especially if there's any weather hiccups down in South America uh, over the over the winter here. So, Jeff, you mentioned that some farmers took advantage of the rallies we had in soybeans last week after the WASD report drops. Where are you seeing most folks sitting right now as far as soybeans marketed for the 23 growing season? You know, that's a that's that's really interesting. I, I think at least through the uh, producers that I talk to, I, I think they're more willing to sell the, con the, the beans off the combine. Uh, number one, right now, they're, they're more profitable. You know, corn sitting down here at, you know, two, two and a half year lows. Um, you know, so I think they are moving beans off the combine and then they're going to store the, the corn, maybe do a little combination of both. But, you know, from what I talked to, I bet they're probably, depending on their yields, I, I think they're probably anywhere from 60 to 70% sold. Uh, on their beans. And, and my job now is just to make sure, hey, now we're going to take some re-ownership on those because, yes, we, we've sold them. Uh, they, they are making money, which is good. Uh, but you got to look at where we've come from. I mean, November on Thursday hit 1250. So for a spot contract, that was a two-year low for beans hitting 1250. Now, November has been below that, but that was back in May. And uh, that was also when the May beans were trading upwards of $14 on massive bull spreading. So you got to remember where we're at here the last two or three years. Not saying that we are going to move higher, but I, I think, you know, there's potential that it could move higher, especially as the beans continue to be sold uh, off the combine. So look for March or May call options, you know, buy a call, sell an out of the money call against it, uh, keep your cost down. But keep in the game in case beans want to rally, you know, 75 to a dollar a bushel. You know, historically, beans move at dollar at a time and corn moves at 25 cents at a time. So uh, we could definitely see that here this winter. So that's a lot on the soybean side. I know that, like you just mentioned, corn is sitting at a two and a half year low. What do we need to see to get demand brought up there and get some prices fired back up? Well, and we, we've kind of started to see it here in the last week, Tanner. We got the commitment of traders reported, and the funds have been heavily short corn. They were looking for lower prices. 
uh, since pretty much this summer when we've had those rallies. They really hit the the cells on that. But last week we saw them buy back about 45,000 contracts. So they're starting to see that, hey, uh, you know, we hit that low back on September 19th seasonally. Uh, That would time up perfectly for a harvest low. Uh, So we need to see some short covering, but also we need to see some probably a little bit more export demand. Uh, Export demand has been pretty feeble. I mean, if you look at it uh, compared to our five-year average for our time right now, and, you know, granted, we're only two months into the marketing season, but uh, corn sales are about half of where they need to be for this time of year. Now, they could be made up, but, boy, uh, if I'm an end user, which I do have a lot of clients that feed cattle, I'm I'm very active telling my guys, say, hey, secure some feed needs here, or if not, make sure you have call options up above. Uh, in case this thing wants to move higher, because you got to look at it big picture. And yes, we are at two-year lows. But the overriding factor on the corn is a 2.1 billion bushel carryout. Uh, we have not seen a carryout that size in three to four years. Um, and, and I just, you know, the, the, it's due because, you know, obviously the additional acres that were a surprise. But I mean, we're gonna we're gonna harvest 87 million acres here this fall. Uh, we have somewhere around probably a 172 and a half to 173 national average. Uh, you know, just think if you know we actually have uh, normal rainfall. Uh, it's amazing what the uh, these hybrids can do with as little rainfall. I mean, you know, some of our farms were 10, 12 inches below normal rainfall, and we're still having you know 200 bushel corn, which is just amazing. So. This corn, if we do ever do have trend line, I mean, trend line uh, this year was 181. Uh, obviously, we're going to be, you know, eight to nine bushels below trend line. And uh, I think we really dodged a bullet in this corn market. I mean, we could have easily had a three billion bushel carryout uh, with trend line yield. So that's a, that's a moving target, I know. But, uh, we, you know, that 2.1 billion bushel carryout is, is going to be kind of a wet blanket uh, over this corn market, and you've seen it. I mean, we just we haven't been able to close above five dollars in December uh, since the first week of August. Yeah, that five dollar psychological barrier, I think, has been a big one, like you mentioned there, since August. But you know, once we get through the harvest pressure here, any reason we should or will see corn break back above five dollars once we get through this harvest season? Certainly. I mean, from a seasonal standpoint, you, you typically see a little bit of a rally. Obviously, you know, with last week's high up at four ni- uh, 4.99, you know, that's 35 cents off the contract low. So that's not that bad of a rally off the lows. But yes, uh, you, we get some unexpected export business. Uh, I think China would be the biggest one. Uh, they, they've been uh, very reluctant on buying U.S. corn. They've been, been buying plenty of uh, uh, Brazilian corn. They've been buying some beans from us, but they have not bought any corn from us here in a while. So uh, that would certainly, but if you get through $5, then we can probably run this thing up to $5.25. we got a pretty good gap on the charts up there. So, uh, you know, that would be $0.45, 50 cents off the contract lows. Uh, I'd be certainly looking to uh, sell some bushels uh, above that $5 in that $5.25 area. Absolutely. I know we've also been reporting for our friends that put winter wheat in that there's a lot less intended acres, or at least the sentiment is a lot slower to get your winter wheat planted. Is that going to follow the corn market or what's going to incentivize those growers to put more seeds in the ground? 
Yeah, you know, I know that's the talk. Uh, you know, you know, do they actually walk the talk? That's the question. And and I've asked a lot of my wheat guys, are there any intentions of lower acres? And and the response I get most of the time is, you know, I'm just following my normal rotation because if I get out of a normal rotation, uh, it, it it just screws so many other things up. So, uh, you know, I. I, I talked to my guys in growing Chicago uh, soft red wheat. Uh, you know, that was their best acre they had because they had extremely good yields. Um, if you were able to sell it when on the rally, uh, which we did take partake in that, uh, then they followed up with some uh, double crop beans. So uh, I, I, you know, I know that's getting a lot of the talk, um, but I just don't see that because when I have, uh, you know, conversations with individual clients, uh, the, the number one response is, you know, I'm in a state of my rotation. And, and another thing is, well, what else am I going to do? Am I just going to follow the land? Uh, well, that doesn't pay. At least I'll have a shot with maybe growing some wheat and getting some rally. So we'll have to see. That's a moving target, I know. But uh, uh, I'd push back on that theory a little bit here. Jeff, as we head into here the final quarter of 2023, and we're thinking about 2024, uh, what are you hearing as far as a crop rotation mix goes next year? And is the market already kind of thinking ahead to next year, or we just really focus on production numbers for this year? Well, no, I think you're always looking ahead. I mean, right now, guys are busy getting the crop out. But then, yes, certainly they will start to focus on the next year's crop. But, I mean, if you look at normal rotation, which obviously we do because a lot of guys, you know, tend to strictly follow that. I mean, uh, this year was definitely a higher corn year. That was expected. Uh, it wasn't expected to be 94 million acres, but it was expected to be uh, a larger number of corn acres planted this year. So, yeah, you'll probably see uh, bigger bean acres. And, you know, let's see the market. I mean, if this bean oil, I mean, we're down here at uh, nine, 10 year lows for bean oil stocks. Uh, if this thing wants to make a run uh, and, and beans follow the bean oil, I know historically you like the meal to follow it, to, to lead us up. But uh, with the new uh, crush capacity coming on in these biofuel, uh, that relationship could get skewed a little bit. So uh, I'll, I'll be watching the beans here. Um, they may try to buy some additional acres. Now they are expected to get some acres, but we'll have to see. But, uh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at the beans here for next year. So what has the international conflicts that have made headlines going to have any effect on our markets there? Is it going to be in the oil market solely, so, solely or other spots? Well, it, it's it's – yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because, you know, you had the big big spike in crude oil, but then we kind of fell back. I, I think, you know, uh, you know how callous this sounds, but, I mean, uh, you know, conflict in that region of the world is nothing new, uh, unfortunately. I mean, they've been at war essentially for, you know, 70 years. Now, obviously, uh, it gets a little more intense sometimes, like it is going to be here for the next couple of weeks, but... Uh, immediate impact on grain right now uh, with it confined to Gaza is, is not too much. Uh, if it starts to spread to other countries, absolutely. Uh, there's some very important uh, transportation canals in that area uh, that transport a ton of the crude oil, a ton of the natural gas. So uh, that's something the market will be in tune to. Um, but uh, as of right now, I mean, Typically, war is, is negative stock market and negative bond market um, and bullish commodities. Well, we just we haven't seen that here as of yet. Uh, I know we're only into 
uh, a week and a half of the conflict, but uh, uh, the market has not shown normal tendencies right now. Awesome, Jeff. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. But if any of our listeners want to pick your brain or follow along with what you're thinking, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at AgHedger or on the website at AgHedgers.com. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I certainly appreciate your time. Yeah, you guys have a good one. And uh, anytime, just let me know. There you go. Another great way to start the week off, Delaney. Always love our Market Monday conversations. We've got some good conversations lined up for the rest of the week, so don't go too far, listeners. Let us know how your harvest is going. Follow us on social media and comment there. Right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.